This is Terrell Next on Neurotech, chasing breakthroughs from the bay to your brain. In this episode, I get the chance to talk to Avery Beddoes of the Substrate Group. He is a neurotech storyteller and advisor who helps companies tell better stories. He also runs a blog called The Substrate where he talks about deep tech and neurotechnology. We sit down and talk about how to tell better stories, what it takes to tell stories, and some of the tools of trade that have helped him throughout his career. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy. Hey, welcome, everyone. This is Terrell Next on Neurotech, and I'm your host, AJ. And I have a guest here, Avery Beddows. Thanks. It's great to be here, AJ. Appreciate awesome. you having me. Yeah, awesome. So, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. That's, uh, I feel like that's actually a surprisingly difficult <laughs> question to answer, but the long and short of it is in various capacities, I am involved in the neurotechnology world and my particular niche tends to be around communications and storytelling. And the thing inherently about communications and storytelling is that anytime you have any kind of um, group of people working on a thing uh, in neurotechnology and outside of neurotechnology, you implicitly need communications and storytelling. It is, it is after all, how we basically form groups and do things with groups. So uh, I you know, started my involvement in neurotechnology proper as an investor, Loop Ventures, and uh, therein sort of the communications is really around how do you structure the narrative of a company? And so... That was kind of my my original, you know, the original hat I wore in this world. And not too long ago, early early this year, I ended up transitioning out of, of that role and, and becoming an advisor. And now what I do is I have a consultancy where I focus on doing storytelling and communications for neurotechnology businesses. And that manifests more in writing and in presentations where we're trying to communicate you know, the, the nature of a business to an investor, or if it's marketing materials, or even if it's an internal document, sometimes the exercise of putting together a narrative around why is this business strategy the optimal one, that can be a really helpful exercise internally at a company for, you know, clarity of thinking, alignment, and, and so forth. Um, and then my, my third role is I just, I like a lot of things on LinkedIn. That's probably my biggest nice. contribution. That's cool. Yeah, and like, how did you get specifically interested in neurotech? At least because you mentioned you were an investor, so I was kind of curious, like, what yeah, led it up was to that? Really funky, uh, sort of entirely serendipitous set of things. But prior to being an investor, I had been working on a virtual reality company that was, you know, building tools. But behind the scenes, we were really interested in the neuroscience of spatial memory and how we could use that science to inform the design of productivity tools. And I eventually shut that project down. Uh, but my sort of next step immediately after was, huh, I was doing VR for interfacing with the brain in some very loose sense. I should probably learn a little more about what happens when you actually interface with the brain. And so I started talking to some people, reading some things, listening to some podcasts, and just through a bunch of serendipity, um, wound up getting to join the really awesome uh, group of people at Loop Ventures, uh, who are just like lovely, lovely humans all around. And they had an interest in neurotechnology, and I joined on board to start really focusing on making these seed, pre-seed 
stage investments in neurotechnology companies, which I'd say, you know, 80% of that was spent looking in the healthcare domain. The other 20% was more consumer-ish and then there's some crossover. Um, but that's, uh, that's kind of how I wound up there. There was no, there was no particularly like replicatable path. It just kind of happened. That makes sense. Yeah. And um, I was kind of curious more about like, your niche specifically, like how unique is it with uh, neurotech storytelling versus like anything else you've seen? In terms of the stories that you tell or storytelling itself, I should say the process is, and you can use the process anywhere. It really is. I mean, first and foremost, it's like communication skill sets. Um, can you structure information in ways that are clear and easy to understand? And well, yeah, I'll say that. You, can you structure information in ways that are clear and easy to understand? Period. But then you think about neurotechnology and really can be extrapolated to any domain specific communications where you then need to have background knowledge, you need to understand the types of questions that people do regularly ask about a particular story content. So, you know, if I'm crafting a story about some kind of, for example, if I'm helping tell a story about a brain computer interface, I know just from talking to lots of people about neurotechnology that, especially for folks who don't know much about it, the immediate set of questions is, you know, do I have to implant this thing or not? It's a pretty like low grade level of detail answer in terms of brain computer interfaces and invasive or non-invasive. But the need to emphasize that, for example, if you are building a pitch deck for fundraising is actually quite high. And the reason I know it's quite high is A, from having been an investor, B, from just having seen and partaken in so many conversations about neurotechnology. So in terms of specificity to the field, there's both the domain knowledge itself, and then there's an understanding of people's tendencies in communicating domain knowledge. Cool, cool. Um, so like, what's like your process with uh, storytelling when you're kind of crafting something for a company? Good question. Depends on the, it depends a lot on the goal. Um, I think the best example is a pitch deck. Uh, in general, when people reach out to me, they've already have, they, they have some kind of deck materials put together, some kind of storytelling material put together, and they want to improve it. And that makes my life much easier because they've already aggregated a decent amount of the information in place. Um, and that solves the problem of the first step of the process, which is learn. You got to learn about the company, learn about what they're good at, learn about what they think they're good at, learn about how their you know, conversations to date have gone with an investor. You're basically doing this information collection process and building out what I would refer to, um, to co-opt, I'm sure some term that's been given many definitions uh, as the story world, just the set of all facts and information about the company. So that's kind of number one. Number two is what I call the storyline. And in the case of a pitch deck would manifest concretely as an outline probably. And the goal of the outline is to figure out what is the structure of the information that I am sharing. And even at a lower level of detail, 
what are the, what's the core essence of, of the story here? Like, what are the punch points that actually have some significance? So, you know, for example, in this, with this hypothetical brain computer interface company that I uh, just used as an example earlier, let's say that what this company did really well is that their electrodes last for, I don't know, three months without having to replace them, whereas everyone else's is, you know, every 10 uses. So let's say every two weeks. So I would identify that as this core thing to get across. And then you need to build out the problem that their customer is going to be experiencing because of short lifetime electrodes. So let's say that you are developing a brain computer interface for a pilot and you contrast these two scenarios. You say, you know, for existing pilot brain computer interfaces, pilots, because they're on the go so often, they need to bring bags of electrodes with them wherever they travel. And, you know, it's a hassle. You have to get the TSA. It's extra room in the bag. If you want to try and just bring a carry-on, sometimes it's competing for space. Uh, you're worried about maybe this, this bag getting wrestled around a little bit. And so you don't want to, of course, harm the electrodes, so on and so forth. And so when you take the particular aspect of the technology and put it in its usage context, there's a specific problem. Now, this company comes along and says, well, as it turns out, our core innovation is we talk to pilots and we understand this is a big problem for them. And this is the, this is the rate limiting factor for what percentage of pilots are willing to use a brain computer interface. So we went and innovated on the electrode design and we have an electrode that's going to last for much longer. And we've tested it in these ways and we've shown through surveys that the pilot willingness to purchase or likeliness to per likelihood to purchase is substantially higher if we tell them these electrodes are going to last three months instead of 10 days or two weeks. And so zooming out of this little like fictitious scenario for a second, I would identify that core narrative as that's the thing I need to communicate. That is the storyline. And then you can piece together different, you know, elements of actual information about the history of the company, characteristics, characteristics of the technology, elements about the market, research they've done, traction they've had so far, and so on. I'd put that into an outline. That would be the storyline component of the storytelling process. And then lastly is the storytelling component of, I guess, the, the whole story process. And the storytelling is literally just like putting some media to it, whether it's words, whether it's images, how things are designed on the screen, thinking about how a person's going to read through it, um, thinking about whether you are going to send this deck as an email deck where you want them to read it and get a lot of information out of it, or if you're going to use it as a presentation deck where you are walking them through it in real time. So zooming way out, story world, storyline, storytelling is how I go about this. And inherently, it's a very iterative process and you're always jumping between them. Frankly, I'd say I get the most utility out of this framework just for describing to other people what the process is. When I actually go through it, it's more of a goal-directedness towards, I need this final deck done, how am I going to get there? And these steps loosely describe the things I spend my time on from you know, zero to completion. Yeah, that's, that's interesting because I was actually just about to ask you, did you feel like this process or as you're developing this for yourself, that it was kind of like iterative, like the parallels? With like, yeah, I, um, I would say this process was emergent. I've done communications and storytelling things in both casual and professional capacities for a long time. And 
I would say that this phased process kind of emerged as just de facto what it looks like. This is the easiest way to do it. Gotcha. Okay. That makes sense. And we were talking about a little bit about mediums. Like, so as you were learning um, about neuroscience and about, about neurotechnology itself, what did you find were some of the tools that were effective for you in telling stories? And did you find any issues with translating some of the things that you'd find in learning about the science, the science of the technology or whatnot, and translating that to make it more effective to understand? It's a good question. Um, in terms of media to tell the story, you know, it's it's nothing fancy. It's you write things and you design decks. And if you need particular graphics, you either use graphics that already exist that the company has, or you go end up getting new ones produced. I think that is pretty standard. Now, the question around how do you make things easy to understand That is a great question. The first communication stuff I really did around neurotechnology was I read papers and I would then build a little blog post story around the paper and try and make it a little bit spicier. Um, And so I've got a few of those up on on my neurotech blog, thesubstrate.com. And I don't really remember to tell you the truth, how I decided that was going to be the structure I wanted to do. I just sort of did it and got some pretty good feedback on it. And I guess one thing that works to my advantage in this case and to my disadvantage in many other cases is that I don't have a full formal background in neuroscience or neurotechnology. I have a very pieced together background in neuroscience and neurotechnology. And that gives me a the ability to remember and know what it's like to not know what things mean and to understand how deep do you need to go in details in order to extract an essence. I think ultimately that just builds an intuition for what to say and when to say it. And another, another alternative way of approaching this is this principle that I kind of retrospectively used to describe how I've gone and learned things, which is principle minimum viable knowledge. For a particular task or goal, what is the minimum knowledge that you need in order to accomplish it successfully? Hmm. Um, and so you think about this, at least one, one concrete way to think about this is in the case of, case of investing. When you go and learn about a technology, you're never the expert on the company you're investing in. That's, that's not why you invest. Um, anytime you learn about a company or a technology, you learn, learn, learn until you feel like, okay, I have learned about this in a level of detail that is sufficient for me to be able to make a go, no-go decision on this investment. And I got a lot of practice with that. And I think that ends up becoming quite useful in understanding, you know, how much do I really need to say about this company for whatever, for whatever reason I'm saying something about a company? Do I need to go all the way down and, you know, describe low-level details about the technology? Or do I just need to say that this is a high-bandwidth invasive interface and it can go to market fairly quickly because of the strategy they're using for developing the technology? Right, gotcha. 
Okay. And do you ever feel, do you ever see yourself having to kind of tweak your story as you go along? Whether that's because you're learning more about the company or there's always. new developments? Always. Always. Like, oh, it's, <laughs> it's uh, like, there's, there's no, I think nothing in writing or communications is a one shot right. success. Um, especially, especially, you know, if I'm working as an external consultant with a company, this ultimately is going to be something that has to satisfy, you know, the entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. So we'll talk, I'll try something, they'll give some feedback, they'll fill in some blanks, I'll try something else. And you iterate that uh, until hopefully at the end, you're mostly just tweaking like typos. Mm. Uh, that's, that's how you know you're almost at the, <laughs> the finish yeah. line. But yeah, no, it's, it's absolutely an iterative process. I think anyone who's ever built a pitch deck knows that it's an almost painfully iterative process. Mm-hmm, definitely. And I'm curious, since we're on that track of iterativeness, if that's a word, what's like the most difficult audience that you have to deal with when you're trying to tell stories? I would say that, I would say that as a category, there we go. Inv- investors are challenging. And it's not because any individual investor is challenging. It's because every investor is idiosyncratic mm. and has their shtick and likes different things and dislikes different things. And it's tough to build a deck that is versatile enough for everyone. And so, you know, one way to mitigate that is you do a deck with like a bunch of appendix slides or like a white paper about this or that and just build up a set of materials that you can kind of purpose send to different people. One way I've seen this done, which I haven't done personally, but I've seen a Q&A section in an investment memo that I thought was great. I really liked that idea. But I, I think that's what makes it challenging because, I mean, really, it's more challenging for the entrepreneur than it is for me. I'm just sort of the reflection of the entrepreneur's challenge. But mm-hmm. as an entrepreneur, you end up with a just a confusingly and mystifyingly and frustratingly discordant set of feedback from investors. Um, Some of it is going to be more well thought out than others, but it's quite challenging to appraise feedback or criticism that you get from investors Mm -hmm. because on the one hand, you're trying to use your own first principles thinking. On the other hand, they're this investor who you're trying to, you know, get money from. So you sort of get pulled in their direction a little bit implicitly so yes, I'd say building things for investors as a category is challenging because rarely will one narrative, one piece of storytelling material truly nail it for all the investors. Definitely. And like, what's your criteria for what feedback you take in and actually implement? I wish I had a specific criteria for you. I don't. It's kind <laughs> of a, you know, if I hear from a lot of people, okay, I'll pay attention to it. Mm-hmm. If I get a question from an investor and it's pretty clear that this is a question that comes from um, them just not being super informed about something, then I kind of disregard it or, or rather I, I disregard it in the sense of we don't need to change anything fundamentally about this business, but we may need to add in some more background information so that they get this, you know, great example of this is invasive versus non-invasive, right? When people ask, why can't you do this non-invasively? Um, depending on what you're claiming to do with the company, like sometimes it's just physics. Mm -hmm. You're just, you just don't have the, it's just, you're not going to be able to get the signal out. 
sometimes when people ask, why is this going to take so long? And the answer is because the FDA, you might need to add a little bit of background information about what a regulatory process looks like. And this is kind of like a different side of things. I know we talked about um, pitch decks and writing and blogs and using that as mediums. Um, what other mediums have you seen, even if, if it's not something you're personally using, that have been pretty effective with telling stories, especially with the neurotech space or even like at tech if we want to get a little broader? I mean, I think videos, of course, are awesome. Um, for visualizing visualizing a piece of equipment, visualizing the function of a brain-computer interface, um, literally showing, like, and, and then that gets into the second part, of which is demos, literally showing um, the, the interface in use. I mean, the best, especially for consumer technology, the best medium you have is the technology itself. Right. That's, uh, yeah, I think at the end of the day, that's by far the most compelling. I have a, I have a friend in the neurotechnology space who I'll leave nameless, but um, he, to, he, when he goes around to fundraising meetings or when he went around to fundraising meetings, when we did those sorts of things, um, he would have this huge suitcase with him with a bunch of equipment in it and he would just bring it with him everywhere. And it was hilarious. It was like <laughs> him plus, plus large suitcase. And that was just kind of par for the course. Um, so I think demos are definitely your, it's your highest conversion material, but of course it's highest cost, both in terms of development and in terms of you have to actually like get it to people somehow. Right. Definitely. And have you seen at least, yeah, have you seen like social media being useful, at least in the neurotech space? Uh, honestly, the most useful thing about social media and neurotech is I think sharing of papers. Yeah. Uh, you see a lot of papers show up on LinkedIn and on Twitter and there are some random Facebook groups that post neuro adjacent things that I follow and occasionally like click on when they post. I, I, I do think, I mean, I think that's less so about storytelling for companies and it's more about um, just as someone who pays attention to the field, how do you, what's your information diet? How do you mm. keep a nutritious, like, you know, how do you have nutritious meals? Uh, how do you, how do you stay up to date? And the way to do that is definitely at least following some good high volume posters who tend to route new papers or conferences into the, the social media sphere. Mm, gotcha. And how'd you develop your diet? I'd have a conversation with someone. I'd follow them on LinkedIn. They'd share something or they'd like someone else that they'd like something else that someone else shared. And I click on that person and I was like, Oh, you've got 50 mutuals on LinkedIn. Let me add you. And you know, kind of this agglomerative process where people just smush together until all of a sudden you've kind of, taking over your LinkedIn network from a bunch of brain nerds mm -hmm. or as a made it into a bunch of brain nerds, <laughs> whatever awesome. the phrasing is. Yeah, definitely. And so it, so it sounds like LinkedIn, LinkedIn is like one of your primary places. Is it? LinkedIn is definitely one of my primary places. Twitter has a bunch of great stuff, but I personally stay away from Twitter as much as possible because as soon as I open it, it's 45 minutes later. Oh, and yeah. It's just, and, and then, and then, I mean, really you get this FOMO, or at least I get this FOMO because if I'm on Twitter, I can easily in a day collect a dozen papers that I need to read and that's never, ever going to happen. So it's like why I even subject myself to it. Right. 
Right. That's right. my personal uh, like life hack for Twitter. But you know, if it works for you, you should do it. There's high quality stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So Twitter and LinkedIn for anyone who's listening, those are some decent places to get some papers. If you know, and it makes sense though too, because like, because um, normally, um, since I, whenever I go through to do my own research, it's it takes a while to kind of filter through everything on PubMed or um, other um, open source places like that or whatever it, it takes a while to find like find the right paper i'm looking for but yeah definitely that makes sense it's kind of like filtering unintentionally with your or intentionally yeah, in and, some and cases it's, it's, and it's less than, it's not about like if i have a particular topic i'll go google scholar or pubmed right. or whatever but this is about a stochastic set of new information that comes in um i'm kind of a big believer in like stochastic search processes for life. Mm-hmm. For example, like moving to a new city, I think it's great to just seed your, if you want to make friends, seed some friendships in random places, like introductions through totally disparate people, you know, meet someone at a cafe, go to an event, you know, hit it off with someone. Um, I think it's the best way to meet new people in a new city. Uh, similarly, I think that a, like, kind of stochastic process of finding random papers that have been published recently by looking at LinkedIn and Twitter through a collection of different people who are posting those. It does a really great job, in my opinion, of sort of maintaining a certain level of, you know, informedness. Mm-hmm. This is kind of like a different op- different topic or re- revisiting a topic of mediums. Um, what have you seen has been like a very promising avenue for storytelling and yeah, storytelling. I really like well-written articles. Mm. A well-written article is like linguistically solid, you know, nice readable language. It's juicy, not dry. Personally, I look for things with levels of detail that are warranted by the conversation. I look for things with examples. Um, I look for thing. I like reading articles that tell me about things I didn't know about, whether it's, you know, a program that one of the NIH institutes is running or whether it's research that a particular person's doing at a lab somewhere or some results that they had for neurostimulation for depression or what have you. I, I like, I like being able to walk away with little nuggets Um, and the question, I mean, there's a, there is a question around what, uh, what platform is best for disseminating that kind of information. People use a lot of medium kind of so-so on medium, like it's functional, but everyone posts a medium article. So I haven't come up with a good solution yet for differentiating your own written content. But I do think that I can speak from, I'll speak from experience. You know, I came into this field and I did not know much about it. And I certainly didn't have the academic background in it. And uh, one of the ways that I both learned things and I think to some degree helped to establish my own credibility as a thinker in this domain was by writing and, you know, posting various various kinds of, of blogs, essays, et cetera. I did a long series of pieces on consumer neurotechnology. I did a really long essay on 
the ethics of investing in neurotechnology. I did a couple of response pieces to current events and a few other things. And for me as an individual, it was extremely helpful, both building, I guess, a personal brand for myself and establishing credibility, but also in the context of, of Loop Ventures, which is you know, where I was when I was doing this, um, it really helped with deal flow because people pay attention to it and it shares around. Um, and then you end up you know, going to conferences or getting invited to conferences and then you meet more people there and it all snowballs. So I think there are, I can speak from my own experience in saying that you know, the written word goes a long way. On the fundraising side, personally, I like investment memos more than I like decks. Um, and the reason is that when you put together a pitch deck, you don't use connective words. You don't use words like and, therefore, because, so. And so what you wind up with is a bunch of like free-floating information that doesn't have the like linguistic connective tissue and then implicitly makes it harder to comprehend. When you write it in a memo, you get to use natural language in full sentences. And so you can convey things to people um, in more of a continuous, naturalistic fashion. Um, that is why, personally, I like memos for telling someone about the details of a company. You just have a lot more flexibility with how you what you convey and how you convey it, making sure that the person who's reading it's actually going to understand. Awesome. Thank you. And uh, this is like my last question um, before we, you know, end the episode here. Um, what advice do you have for someone who may want to explore the space or is interested in general, like to beef up their storytelling chops? Beef up storytelling chops. I mean, I'll, I'll limit that answer to in the context of, kind of storytelling about businesses. Mm -hmm. I'll even say storytelling about deep technology businesses. That works. Because there's many kinds of storytelling. Storytelling for deep technology, pick a domain and dive into that domain. People really appreciate insight and thoughtfulness and knowledge. And you can only have insight, thoughtfulness, and knowledge if you know enough stuff to have the knowledge and generate the insights. So pick a domain and learn about it. That's kind of number one. And number two is, I mean, it's really just write stuff or podcast or whatever. It's, it's, not, it's not all that hard to like get a start on the storytelling. I think, you know, in terms of beyond that, there's like, how do you improve your skills as a writer, which is a whole other conversation. Mm -hmm, definitely. Um, one of the, I mean, one obvious thing is have a diverse set of people edit your stuff. Um, so for example, if I write something, I'm going to have at least one neurotechnology entrepreneur edit it. I'll have probably a couple different investors look at it. Um, I may have just a random friend who has very little to do with the field look at it. Um, that way you get different lenses and that can help optimize the, the piece of writing. Um, but yeah, most actionable thing here is just learn about a field. That is how you should for sure get started on the storytelling for deep technology thank you so much for all, for all this information that was really interesting to hear about like storytelling because this is something that i really don't think about or it's hard to think about first when it comes to neurotech because i feel like a lot of times people go towards the tech itself but conveying it's the stories themselves is probably just it's just as important you know yeah i mean i um 
I was talking to someone the other day and I, I was talking to them about writing and, and like the various writing projects I'm working on and was saying that the thing that I look at as, I guess, a skill is um, writing as the, the art of composing and structuring thought. And so I feel like I get excited about learning about neurotechnologies, not because necessarily I think it's like, you know, just good knowledge to have in the back pocket. It's because the act of writing is actually the act of composition or synthesis of existing knowledge. And so it really, I do, I do really feel like it's kind of intrinsically tied to the stuff itself. Um, I'm not sitting there and, you know, programming my common filter, but there is, I feel like there's a, there's a currency of knowledge and there's an exchange of currencies occurring when one writes or an allocation of resources or whatever, whatever metaphor fits, fits the bill. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. This is Terrell Next on Neurotech signing off. Thank you very much.